I'm Rob Hirschfeld, CEO and co-founder of RackN and your host for the Cloud 2030 podcast. Today's episode is a 2022 and 23 retrospective slash prediction episode, sort of the end of year classic for us, except our predictions and look aheads are different than most people's. We're, we're looking at some broader trends around software build materials, impact of GPT, which will be a future episode, uh, edge technology, cloud adoption, security, uh, faults and failures. A very interesting conversation and not your garden variety, uh, look back, look ahead type of show. So. I know you will enjoy it. Um, well, we, we did have we did have a topic we did have a topic for today. I'm going to talk about shows, but there was a this this is the last meeting of the year, so um, it would be interesting to talk through, um, you know, big big events for 20 for, for this year. And then projections. I'm, I'm curious to what y'all think is going to move the needle next year. Well, well I think, go uh, ahead, Klaus. I, I, I was just going to suggest we, we, we start first with the, um, with the larger events. So there's been a couple of ones at the, the global scale. Um, like the war in Ukraine, which even though it, it it's not immediately a um, uh, a cloud related uh, event, it has had a significant impact on mm-hmm. uh, on cloud infrastructure and and uh, and the way we think about um, availability. Um, Twitter, of course, we, we've, it, it's a recent hot topic, so we've already talked about that one. Um, I, I cannot think of any other major recent outages other than the, what Rackspace is currently experiencing, but, but maybe so it's noticing because, something about that. Yeah. I mean, so, so we. We did not, I mean, we're ending the year. It's a really good point without um, the major, like we had several major outages in 2021. We haven't seen that level of failure again, right? When that, that, that huge Amazon outage, I think was, I'd have to look it up, was late last year, very early in 22. And, and since then, the clouds have been pretty stable. There have been some stuff. Um, was it Jira had a major outage that they're, you know, the, people just got bored covering it. What's up this year? That I thought was oh. early this year. Yeah, that oh, was they lost all those accounts in the migration. Yeah. yeah um, so, well, I don't know. There were there were ten. Uh, let's see. Apple had a major one. January, uh, there was a big Apple outage. Two IBM outages. Slack went down in February. March was Google Cloud. Oh, that's right. I remember that. That was a, that Apple was a big deal. went down again in March. April, it was the Atlassian outage. 
Uh, there were cabled, cut <laughs> so, cabled so down. We're, we're not remembering June. them because they've gotten so frequent. <laughs> well, I think I think well, the issue is that they have been frequent, and each of them has been of. I mean, Cloudflare in June that was a big one. So, so that's one of the things that was I was about to say. That was a very big is one. That, is that it's not like 2022 was a year without outages, but it it's been a year with, with outages that are hard to remember off the top of one's head, and the, and this can either mean that that they're not memorable or that we're we're getting to the point where we're getting desensitized about it. Um, one one is better than the other, of course, but. Uh, Neither is great. Yeah, I mean, you know, the meta outage was noteworthy because of the stupidity of people not being able to get into reset servers. Mm -hmm. But I think, um, you know, the the Google one affected us for probably four or five hours. Yeah, well, yeah, y'all were down. You, you, Rogers was down for a long time, yeah. more than twenty-four hours. Yeah. So, yeah, we're. I mean, so I guess the question is, we're getting, <laughs> we're having trouble remembering them. I, I actually think that's because they're they're frequent. They're more frequent, not less. Um, are we? Does, are they going to keep increasing in twenty twenty three? Are we looking at the? Are these? You know. Um, warning tremors <laughs> for a, a major something that, that that might actually have an some interconnected outage because we've seen a lot of like the NS one stuff was pretty interconnected. Um, a GitHub outage would be very interconnected. Yeah. Um, um, and, and I guess like it, it this also draws a parallel to well to like to the interest of uh, with central services like like Twitter and, and that well you you're putting all of your eggs in one basket. It, it's convenient. As long as the basket doesn't break or fall, um, but um, there, there's certain there's certainly side effects to to doing that, um, and and it may just be that we're we're getting to an inflection point where the the risk of centralization is starting to out outpace the the benefits of centralization um i, I mean it, it ultimately it, it's the same kind of cycle uh, as with like servers versus edge uh, um, so at some point there, there there's probably going to be another great benefit to centralization and, and everyone's going to be swinging back to, to the same service yeah but um if I if I were to make a prediction for 2023, it may be um, that federation or decentralization is going to become a much more um, um, topical subject. Um, good question. I. I, I, I'm thinking about that a little bit. I almost was about to say, and it, it may sound ludicrous. Hang on one sec. Excuse me. Um, 
I actually was playing around with some text last night on a post. Is Edge going to become the backup for the cloud? Ooh. Hmm. Instead of vice versa? Yes. Because... Just hear me out for a second. I'm you know, like I'm thinking about this. It's kind of a draft thing. Um, On the basis that, sorry, hang on. Give me a sec here. I need to take a drink of water or some such. Yeah, no, no worries. I'll, I'll, I'll fill the, I fill in the silence in in the meantime. like uh, as a counterbalance to to this um, movement against centralization, I, I would also put that um, with the recent uh, cryptocurrency issues, uh, people are, are are both more worry more wary um, of fully or decentralized or or claiming to be fully decentralized systems, as as well as at the same time, uh, being more wary of systems that are partially decentralized. Like a, a lot of the 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 the, the cryptocurrencies that, that had major problems this year um, with the with the exclusion of, of, of Bitcoin and, and Ethereum are, are ones that were claiming to be decentralized, but still had a central bottleneck. Whether that's like a, a governance committee or, or 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 an entity like FTX um, or exchanges uh, that those were having issues too. So we're seeing the we're seeing that the danger the the danger being highlighted of moving towards extremes, both in centralization and decentralization. So. Uh, I think we're going to see a much more level-headed approach in the next coming years. I would agree to the to the level-headed, but to go back to what I was saying, what I started to say, I think decentralization or edge as the backup to cloud is if we continue to see more a pattern of more cloud instance outages, which I believe we're going to see either based on the communications being insufficient, the infrastructure to connect, or the fact that the cloud service providers themselves are not, um, their forecast for usage is out of whack. Let's say it falls short. Um, That companies with mission critical data are going to start looking at edge servers and keeping some things synced and on-prem, even if it's not as you know close to real time as they might want it to be, let's say it's not a batch, but it's something between real time and a batch, um, to keep that information close. Because I think that there's been a general, with all these outages, I'm hearing a lot of, ah, you know, we're hybrid cloud and we're multi-cloud and what the hell happens if one of those pieces goes down? We can't create the failover and redundancy of another cloud necessarily because of the workload issue, but we could conceivably back it up on-prem and make that a node or an edge. 
See what I'm saying? So, yeah, but if we're going to have all the infrastructure on prem, why not make it the primary and have the cloud be the backup or be the um, that's that's what I I mean if if you're going to have the infrastructure and have to manage the infrastructure and let it be the primary, then then run make it make it you know you, you got to maintain that anyway. Otherwise, it's well, it's just an offline backup. Well, the easy answer to that is, is geolocation. Like on, on right. prem, you you have one network pipe, one like one one data center, or if if you even have that, if it's not just a server. Uh, and and simply, yes, if, if it's local data for for your clients, um, sure, you 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 can make an argument of for having like having the client connect to on-prem directly, and, and maybe it, it just being a, a buffer or, or or caching server for cloud data. Uh, but I, I think what what John is saying though is that. Like this is more of a DR kind of a, approach, uh, where where in the past, like we've been using the, the cloud to to back up on-prem services. Like okay, like if if my server goes down, at, at least I, I have a copy of the data in the cloud. Um, and now we, we're what what John is predicting is that we might see a reversal in that direction. I, yeah, I think it's gonna. I think it's gonna go in both directions. And and to your point, Rob, about how if you have the infrastructure, why not use it as primary? Is because I think at this stage of the game with cloud, there are a lot of companies that have sunsetted servers in their data centers and reduced that, you know, sort of capability on prem, and the cost associated with it. Right? If you're gonna lift and shift. And you're going to be cloud first, like so many companies were maybe three to five years ago, then you got rid of a lot of that hardware and you got rid of a lot of the capabilities of your on-premises. Now, with the outages becoming so frequent, you're not necessarily going to rebuild the whole data center, but you may have, to Klaus's point, distributed architecture where the backup is geolocated to where it's most used, not necessarily where your headquarters is. You know, kind of like a regional model. That's well, um, this is this is the challenge with with edge. And this this was reinforced by conversations I was having at, at the Gartner INO summit was, you know, people are not excited about putting equipment on premises directly, even for manufacturing, unless they really, really need the immediate response. They're taking everything else and moving it to a metro area. Right. You know, if, if it needs a, you know, if it can happen within a second, they're like, my internet connection is already critical. Uh, you know, it's not a closed loop control system. Therefore, you know, Put it put it in a regional data center where I have more controls, because um, they don't want they don't want to have any on premises IT if they can avoid it. I think OT would have a slightly different opinion about that, mm, but okay. And and there's the ongoing wars between mm. IT and OT that still persist. Um, that being said, though, on the metro side. An interesting question was raised yesterday in in, uh, one of the groups I participated in, in MESA. So 
their question is, how do we now make remote access available to the machinery of the factory? So, so it's remote access in which point. direction? Go ahead. Sorry. Well, let's assume you have a digital twin and you're using that for analysis and you're using that for control and you're using that to, you know, uh, for predictive maintenance and all of the other sort of oriented things that would come under industry four or digital transformation now. And, and this was actually posed by both a vendor and an enterprise. How do we extend that, that we can actually control that equipment? Turn it off, turn it on, recalibrate it. Right. How can we leverage the internal firmware and, and software to be able to do that from remote? So this is where, you know, concepts like RPA plus digital twin equals lights out factory. And in order to do that, you have to have a certain amount of infrastructure there. Whether it's edge servers or. So that, you know, it's uh, interesting because one of the things that I think we were seeing at reInvent was they were, they're trying to pull you in the opposite direction. They're saying digital twins. Mm -hmm require and actually i wanted your opinion on this so i'm glad glad we got here there they were showing a whole bunch of ai ml rendering stuff out of the cloud and they were showing you know there's a lot of power to for doing digital twins in in cloud infrastructure because they have so much compute and resources but that doesn't match what i was expecting from a you know i'm walking through a factory and i need to pull up a, a digital twin on something but maybe well, um, the digital twin is evolving so quickly. There's actually there's digital threads, there's digital twins, and then there's what I call the digital tapestry, which is the mesh of both. Okay. Right. Because a thread is supposed to run end to end inside the factory. But in fact, if you involve the supply chain, then it's outside of the factory. And there's many different threads that feed it. Right. So that's why I use the analogy of the tapestry more. But digital twins from an operations point of view, you should be able to be controlling everything on your shop floor through a digital twin. That's people, process, technology, and machinery, including robotics. And like Dassault Systems is working on stuff like this. There's a lot of the um, big equipment manufacturers that are working on it as well. But this is why the, the um, conflagration, for lack of a better word, between IT and OT is still at play. Because OT says, you should be able to do all this stuff. And IT is saying, screw you, not going to happen because there's too many security issues. So Gardner's painting a very big picture of this and it being cloud-based. It is not possible to get over the latency issue that you would need to be able to do that in the cloud. You can't you can't stop a machine from a cloud. Right. Or run the risk that you need to 
to take a corrective action and the internet connection's down and it doesn't know, or that the connection bounced and the machine shuts off because that, that actually has, this is, this is where, but, but at the same time, here's the intersection, the, the conversation around, I don't want to manage anything on premises. It's too hard and expensive is deeply embedded in people's psyche at the moment. Um, I don't disagree with you that it's deeply embedded. I will disagree that there are companies that went to the cloud, Stanley Black & Decker, who was an absolute innovator in industry four, who is now in the process, had, had a management reorg. The 50 people on their industry four team are gone and they're shutting down many of the 120 plants. Part of the reason is because they dropped so many customers as a result of using cloud as their basic infrastructure. Oh, because of the resulting issues, delays, quality, da, da, da. Uh, and human life. Wow. People got hurt. People got hurt because they couldn't react quickly enough because a message going out, getting analyzed and coming back took so long that the next thing you know, somebody's getting hurt, physically hurt. And, so and that's the... It, that, that sounds... Drop yours first. I'm dropping out a little, in and out a little bit. I if So if I'm stuttering, sorry, that's the connection. But I, I guess the question I'm asking is, is, is this a trend line towards... You know, more, I, I wouldn't call it repatriation, but, you know, doing similar innovation work, but keeping it on premises. It's a trend line for edge. It's a trend line for edge plus cloud. It's also a trend line for a management operating, a manufacturing operations management system built on a better architecture. And I don't mean that in the sense of, oh, swap out your ERP or your MES or whatever. What I mean is that the everything that you've been dealing with and that we all are very familiar with in terms of cloud architecture or the infrastructure requirements to do something like this have not translated down to OT. Don't forget, they're a different kettle of fish than we are. Yeah, and and, and that's that's the topic that, that I was wanting to raise uh, with regards to this, and that um, it seems to me that the, the failure of Black and Decker Stanley uh, is not so much in in using cloud, but in abusing cloud. Like uh, it, it's it's hmm. it's an architectural design problem if they don't account for data gravity and and, and, and locality. Um, so so yes, like if they if they took everything that was working offline and put it in the cloud and expected it to work just fine, that 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 was a doomed project to begin with. Um, Absolutely, and I and I hear rumors that Caterpillar is about to have the same problem, and part of it is the connection issue. Like it's fine and dandy to say to a big manufacturer with global facilities go 5G right? and then watch it break. 
so, you know, I mean, to Klaus's point, it is an architecture issue. It is a management issue, but I don't see a trend line going, you know, everything on this shop floor is going to end up in the cloud. I don't see it. I haven't seen it. Um, manufacturing also happens to be the number one target for cyber issues for security and hacking. And generally, what I'm hearing a lot of is that enterprise IT and manufacturing and OT and manufacturing do share one thing in common. They're finally waking up to the fact that they're the number one target for that cybersecurity issue. But it's not bringing the two groups together or accommodating for, okay, we're going to see everything go to cloud and cloud is going to become more secure and whatever, whatever. Even if you look at Gartner Peer Insights and look at look at questions around uh, security of the cloud, Rob, you're going to find a lot of very not so happy people. Because so the because the cloud, I mean this this is because uh, the cloud is less secure because the cloud isn't giving them all the tools they need. What's because I mean, it's less I, secure. I, 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 you, you know you know me. I'm I'm a I, I believe people should be able to do this this themselves, and I think the cloud. Just to put my 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 actual position on the table instead of the the sort of the probing I'm doing based on what I've what. I was the conversations I had, but you know, I, 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 I think that all of this is is more the complexity of the systems that we're building is making it difficult for people to do all the work. I don't think they're going to get less complex, though. I think we actually have to. It's, it's a we're, we're missing the management tooling to help people you know, do useful work with this. Right now, they're inventing it as they go. But what what is what's the, the consensus from the Gartner Insights? Your insights. Um, for what I've seen, that cloud security is lacking, that the providers are are making the tools so convoluted in terms of manufacturing, call it IIoT tools, um, that they can't secure them. They can't. They can't take a closed system like a you know a machine. A machine has a PLC. Can you get to the firmware in that machine to secure it while feeding data in transit to the cloud? No, you cannot. I mean, we're only now starting to see some of that emerge, right? There's there's some new players out there that have those capabilities. But if you look at AWS and you look at Google Cloud and you look at Azure, the security systems are more for back office systems. They're not for, um, you know, like uh, the design of those services really is what I'm trying to say is geared more for, I have a server running an ERP than it is for, I have a steel rolling, you know, compression production <laughs> right. line. And I want to secure every bit of data that's on there because it's vital to my quality control, or it's vital to my um, design, right? And you're, you're treading on, on thin lines of intellectual property. The encryption in transit issue is going to be a huge one next year. And there's only a couple of players who are doing it. 
So it's not where I'm sending it from or where I'm sending it to. It's wallets in transit. That encryption needs to be very, very secure. Mm-hmm. There's also. I don't know of this. Do you know of a cloud service that does that? Because I don't. Encryption in transit. Yeah. Well, well, well. Data is in transit from point A to point B. What's encrypting it? Well, uh, anything that that goes from one Google endpoint <laughs> to another. So, so intra cloud traffic. Uh, at Google is encrypted, like the, and and the, and this is part of their FedRAMP compliance um, uh, effort in, in in that they, they, it has to be encrypted. Now it, it there's also mm. um, okay. it's also required some requirements like some some U.S. governmental enti- uh, entities requ- also require uh, MTLS. Uh, between distinct services that 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 you run for them, um, so th- th- there's definitely a a trend towards not just encryption, but also identity, uh, and of course all, all of that needs to be FIPS compliant. So so there, there definitely is a baseline for for this uh, intercloud. Mm. Of uh, of course you you cannot rely on on, on Google's encryption, but you you can. Do your do your encryption enforcement at the ingress egress points. So it, it, it's still viable to do. Uh, not 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 even VPN. Like you, you can do TLS. Like if if you mm-hmm. if you do TLS with, with FIPS compliance, you you you're doing proper encryption there. Um, and and it's in many cases even better than VPN because you. You authenticate the the most direct client as opposed to the, the nearest hub. So I, I'm 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 not so worried about the the landscape in in terms of encryption, uh, but we will okay. see a big shift in terms of authentication and access control, um, and also. On on the matter of source control, like I I, I know uh, like SolarWinds really? was more than a okay. year ago, but but like it's making waves still, uh, uh, and there are a lot of agencies oh, yeah. that that are learning from that. Like even like the, the nearest fe, fe, like the nearest FedRAMP requirements, uh, or is it FedRAMP or or, or Dili? I'll have to double check that. I believe, no, and it's the, the, the newest FedRAMP requirement that, that which was which came out like last month, November. Um, there's there's a a new section that that basically says um, we need to be able to provide a, a software bill of material. Uh, I think software bill of materials is going to be a major topic for next year for for it, this coming year. It is right. yes, and, and particularly because it, it's still very, very hard to to integrate them. Like, like again, the, do, you, do you are, do you think it's going to end up being a? Sorry, go ahead. Like, like the, the, there's tooling now that can produce the software bill of material, but there there's very little in terms of 
following following up with it. Like once you you, you got your software bill of material, what <laughs> what do you do with it? How do you go up the chain of of, of software? At what point can you delegate trust? Because different agencies ha- have different opinions on that. Like a, a, anything federal says, like no, you 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 must have a software bill of material, but but you cannot trust someone else's software bill of material unless they're federal certified. So it's uh, that there there are clear organizational problems there that that will need to be resolved. Um, that there's probably going to be a major shift in how software building processes adapt to this. Um, it's it's not it's not. It's not clear to me yet what's going to happen because I, I haven't put enough thought into it, but but I'm certain that something is going to happen. Like along along the lines of of the the CICD revolution over the past decade, mm. decade and a half. I, that, so, from that perspective, what if you're describing is that there's secondary benefits to SBOM besides the security vulnerability component, right? It, I mean, this for, for things like CICD to really take off, one of the things that happens is you're like, oh, well, I have to do this, but wow, there's all this business benefit that I get from having a real software bill of materials. And then people will dogpile on top of it. Yeah, it's, it's a matter of trust on, 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 mm-hmm. on, on authenticity and verification. And yeah. And just like the discussion, uh, like ten years ago, ab- about Web of Trust, uh, and 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 at that point, like Web of Trust tanked because uh, it was a very naive uh, approach. But we're going to see that the, the same kind of logical problems with with S bombs as we saw with Web of Trust. Uh, and it, and it's it's a very hard problem to solve. So it, it's not going it's not going to be just twenty twenty three. It's it's something that I, th- I think we, we're going to be struggling for the next five years at least. I agree. I agree with you on that. I think it'll move faster if if there's a follow on benefits conversation, which is is, is very real. But people should be looking at that stuff. Um, but it's interesting. But Go here's ahead, my Jen. question, Klaus: Do you see regulation coming into that? I mean, I was listening to what you were saying. I agree with you, but I see regulatory rearing its ugly head in that as well. Yes, absolutely. Like this is what, what I was talking about with Fedram. Like Fedram mm-hmm. is is a set of regulatory rules that says if you have business with with a federal agency in the U.S. You right. need to meet these requirements at least, uh, and and they're changing year by year. they this kind of regulatory requirements is is moving at a much faster pace than we've seen in the past. They're able to adapt to new to newer technologies much faster as well. So it, it's it's both good in, in that uh, you're not stuck with a very uh, with a legacy opinion as to how systems should work. But it's also bad in, in in that, like what was compliant one year might not be compliant the next year because the requirements have changed. Well, I, I, I think I'm, it has to happen this way. Yeah, and and, and 
I 100% agree with you. I, I think the other aspect of regulatory that's going to rear its head is the tighter the grip in terms of international trade, i.e. China, and what happens in that vein is really starting to impact because of what's going on with the semiconductor industry and, you know, U.S. plans and now Japan and whatever, um, and even Canada. Mm-hmm. I see software bill of materials taking on a compliance role for code written outside of your geo. I also see an opportunity for any kind of revolutionary change in software bill of material to spill over into the physical world. Like, like tracing the, the source of the, the materials that you use to do to fabricate whatever like like what it was like where the silicon comes from or um like where the lithium is being mined for batteries or or, or whatever um it's it's going to have a societal effect as well yeah and and I see uh, that emerging faster in some ways than it has been in the past because if people still associate DLT with crypto and don't see provenance as the main driver of blockchain, then this whole thing instantiated on software bill of materials is going to end up being like the materials compliance declaration. And you're going to have a huge amount of regulatory issues to deal with on anything that who wrote that code to begin with? How is it then, you know, updated, transformed, whatever, whatever? How many times was it forked? Who was it forked by? All of that provenance for for software bill bill of materials is going to be at the forefront. And part of it will generate from, I believe, regulatory, but the other part of it is now the the, the backlash on, let's say, GTP3, right? Where you have Andrew Ning oh. and a bunch of other people coming out and saying, wait a second, let's not say this is so revolutionary, evolutionary, whatever, and, you know, better than sliced bread, because it's actually talking, it, it, it understands what you're asking. It adopts the conversational code tone. But if you actually look at what it's saying, there's a lot of misinformation and um, factually incorrect data that's also yeah. coming back out of it. Yeah, the, the, the best description uh, I've read uh, of the of the like the chat GPT is mansplaining as a service. <laughs> That's a great one. I like that one. I mean, don't get me wrong. Like it, it it's brilliant. <laughs> and, and, and I'm, it's, I'm thinking that through. That actually works yeah. on so many different levels. <laughs> but like, like GPT three is brilliant, and and Chat GPT, what it's doing is revolutionary. Like in terms of machine learning, and in in terms of just. AI research in general, it's it's amazing. Um, and, and I see real value coming up in the future with with GPT-like machine learning mm-hmm. in, in terms of 
automation, and it's something I was talking with Rob on, on Tuesday, and saying like, for example, in in like I could totally see a service like this being used in the future for providing, um, let's say, Terraform modules that are cross cloud compatible. Like let, let's say like I like. You tell GPT like create create me a a, mm. a a plan so I can so I can create a secure Kubernetes cluster uh, in in uh, in Google Cloud or or in in EKS or in, in in Azure and it has to meet these requirements and it goes and spits it out for you. I, yeah, I mean that I I I definitely see that this being something that's coming up over the next decade. But but yeah, like it it's it still needs to be taken with a grain of salt, uh, and ultimately all this scrutiny that that is receiving is yeah. going to be a boon for AI, but because yeah, it, it it's being like it, it's we, always we, hard to to tell when something that's generated by AI is. Uh, is is true or or, or or factual? So now now that now that it's in the public eye, um, it, the feedback loop is going to accelerate. I'm, yeah, I'm. I really we're out of time, but I I really like this topic. I'm going to move it to January fourth. It's uh, impact of GPT on uh, the IT industry because I I think there's what you're describing. And I, I think the question that, that I'll start that one with is, is, is this reframed? Like, are we ref, is this going to reframe a whole bunch of questions in a, in a permanent way? Um, now, that, now that people are like, oh, wait a second. I, you know, uh, Mike Manny was talking to me. He's like, people are not going to write marketing copy anymore. They're just going to let AI generate the marketing copy and then tweak it and, and post it. It's it's changing the 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 it's ra- it's it's changing something fundamental in how we think about uh, human computer interaction and even human. It it absolutely is, but I think the watchword for that whole trend is context, because if you really want to have an interesting you know twenty minute diversion, use it, put your question in, and then start adding context to it. And then change that context and see how it reacts. It's very interesting. Because if you say, you know, um, ask a question in this context, uh, as if you were talking to a blank, and then change that, it's unbelievable how it reacts, number one, like it kind of blows your mind. But the basic messages are not changing that much. So in some ways, they, they're not quite as sharp. But I agree. It's making us lazy. It, it will make people lazy. Mm-hmm. And I think that there's going to be a lot of backlash to that. But also, it just shows that no matter how big the data set is that that it's is being fed into the models, it's never going to be enough. Uh, I, I I I disagree on the on on the lazy part. Uh, that 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 seems to be a bit of like an old man yells at the cloud kind of uh, situation where the, the same about what was said about radio, uh, about TV, uh, about the internet, 
And I mean, yes, there, there, there's some, there's some delegation of memory function now happening to to the internet, uh, but I wouldn't call it lazy. I, I would just say like it 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 made memory functions available to to, to do <laughs> other things instead. We we are out of time, so I'm gonna I want us to wrap up, and this will be our January fourth topic. So. Uh, until the, uh, and, have a good rest of the week and, and well good rest of the year because uh i'm not True. we're not going to do the next uh two weeks two weeks all right enjoy Sorry your holidays all right so two more off you too enjoy your holidays in this podcast we often take the forward-looking view so it's not uncommon for us to want to look ahead and ask the question of what's coming uh, from that perspective, this show is nothing different, uh, but I really do think it's important for us to reflect back on things like outages becoming normal and why that's important. I do know that these conversations are always better when we have more and new voices. So please join us. Even if you just want to lurk and listen, uh, we appreciate you being part of the podcast. Uh, let us know and come in. You can find us at the 2030.cloud. I'll see you there. Thank you for listening to the Cloud 2030 podcast. It is sponsored by RackN, where we are really working to build a community of people who are using and thinking about infrastructure differently, because that's what RackN does. We write software that helps put uh, operators back in control of distributed infrastructure, really thinking about how things should be run and building software that makes that possible. If this is interesting to you, uh, please try out the software. We would love to get your opinion and, and, and hear how you think this could transform infrastructure more broadly, or just keep enjoying the podcast and coming to the uh, discussions and you know laying out your thoughts and how you see the future unfolding. It's all part of building a better infrastructure operations community. Thank you.